Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today on the show, we have the great Andy Perry coming from Victor, New York. Andy is a professional skier, one of the stars of Lions Traveling Circus, and the founder of the Telefriend Tour. I had a great time talking with Andy today, who gave us a look at the behind the scenes of the ski industry, so I hope you enjoy it. Cheer up, honey. We're headed to the one place that can never decline, because it was never that great. Upstate New York! Hey, Andy. uh, Thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, no worries. No worries. Not really doing much today. One of the few days I'm not doing anything. So yeah. So what have you been up to lately? I see you've been working on some uh, van repairs. Uh, yeah. So right now I am kind of uh, just working like four days a week at a uh, van, uh, like a warehouse in uh, North Portland, um, renovating vans. I started during COVID, um, which was pretty lucky. I got a job. Otherwise I'd be pretty shit out of luck um, money wise, but, uh, yeah, I've been doing that and then renovating a house up near uh, Mount Hood, stripping it down to the studs and, yep, uh, and getting prepared for the ski season and telefront tour. So definitely a lot going on. Yeah. So where are you at in the process for this year's telefront tour? Um, well, normally I would be starting telefront tour. We usually start telefront tour um, around like uh, the first weekend of January, but kind of made the call last spring when I saw the coronavirus thing starting to pop off. I was like, well, I should probably move it back. So we moved it back a month and we're starting uh, late January now. Um, hopefully I'm kind of hope, yeah, kind of hope everything will kind of be a little more chill by then, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So I am in the phase of pretty much waiting on ski resorts to get back, back to me for um, kind of like just COVID related stuff. Usually we have everything scheduled out um, starting in probably like October, November, all sponsors and most resorts are locked down, but this year has been, been different um as you know so it's uh we're kind of off a little bit right now yeah i saw you were talking a bit online about how the vermont restrictions were making things tough i mean you can't even visit there right now without needing to quarantine um so have sponsors been an issue this year compared to years past uh sponsors not necessarily i think that kind of like um everyone like say midsummer coming into early fall kind of realize that like, hey, everything's going to be okay for us, basically, kind of on um, the end of like the distributors and manufacturers and stuff. Um, definitely was a little scared in the spring, um, just watching kind of the market drop so much. Um, and the huge sell off kind of like in March, I think was like kind of like a big like, holy shit, like we're going to be in some trouble. But I think everyone kind of figured it out kind of by late summer, people got off furloughs. So um but uh, sponsor-wise this year, we're, we're doing okay. It's every year the battle of, like, there's always, like, one sponsor that's, like, been waiting to, like, confirm or get back to. But um, it's been uh, – every year is a little bit challenging. But I, I, I'm lucky to have, like, a few, like, really good core sponsors, like Line Skis and Saga and Pit Viper um, that are all, you know, they're, they know what I'm doing and they're very into it. But as for getting new sponsors, it's – it's kind of like a challenge. Um, I, uh, last year I reached out to a couple of agents to try to help me. One of them was, uh, Tom's agent. The other one was Tanner's agent. 
Um, and I kind of ran over the scenario with them. And one of them was just like, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to help you out, but to put enough effort and time into it to be able to get enough return on my investment wouldn't really be, you know, worth it. And then the other guy was like, yeah, man, getting anything from anything in the ski industry or even the outside of the ski industry to bring into skiing is like pushing a wheelbarrow uphill. And I was like, yeah. So, um, so we're, you know, we're pretty kind of like solid with our core base of sponsors, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's, I mean, I deal with it every year. I've dealt with dozens, dozens of sponsors in the last 10 years and, um, each one of them is different and tricky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's take things back for a second. So there's going to be some people listening to this who don't know what Telefriend Tour is. So could you take a second and explain in your own words what it is and how you fit into the picture? Yeah. So Telefriend Tour is a free skiing activation tour. Um, So we go to different ski resorts around the country. Um, I kind of uh, bring my friends who are definitely more famous and better at skiing than me. Uh, People have kind of been the X Games or have kind of built a name for themselves over the last decade um, in free skiing and skiing. And we just go and it's simple. We just ski, um, hang out with, <clears throat> hang out with participants, which can generally be, is like a under eight, you know, a younger crowd, you know, 14 to like early twenties or whatever. Um, and then we do a free pizza party, um, and raffle. And, uh, that's, that's really kind of it. We'll do some social media from the resorts, pictures, photos that they can share. And, um, the idea is just to go out and, uh, share the stoke of skiing and, um, kind of just get people more, you know, more interested in skiing and really connect people with, um, you know, if they see someone in a video like uh, Will Wesson, who's uh, X Games gold medalist, um, you know, you'll see him in videos and on, you know, TV or whatever. And then uh, I think it's really makes a really strong uh, connection to, you know, see him in person and he hands you a hat or something. It kind of like makes a memorable experience that's something that can carry over um, and hopefully, uh, kind of be part of the puzzle that is building the, uh, like life pursuit of being a lifelong skier, which is good for everyone. Mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, fit into that as being, I don't know how I fit into that, but I somehow fit into that. Um, you're kind of the mastermind of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I started, I don't know. I think it's like my seventh year and basically it was just, um, it was out of like a necessity of like, there was no one else in the industry kind of doing this, which to me was insane just because uh, if you look across other action sports doing um, like a activation style tour, a demo tour, what I'm kind of doing is like a pretty standard thing and like say skateboarding or surfing or snowboarding for that matter. And uh, skiing and free skiing itself really didn't have free skiing in particular, really didn't have anything like that going on. It had in the past, but it kind of like fizzled out for whatever reason. Um, so I just saw kind of like, yeah, a need to have that. And I just started it with little budget and money. And um, it's kind of grown over the years to last year. I think we did 24 or 25 stops, gave away um, like four grand. Um, sometimes we give away money, whatever. Uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of product and traveled well over 15,000 miles um, driving in the van. So mm-hmm. Ends up being a lot. Maybe that's why no one else fucking does it. <laughs> yeah. So, what were uh, some? What were the origins of for this tour? I think that on the Paul movement, you said that Glenn Plake was doing something similar in his time. Uh, did you draw inspiration from that? Uh, I mean, basically, what I'm doing is nothing new. It's pretty much just stolen <laughs> from other people um, and other industries of where it's like you just go and 
uh, I mean, skateboarders and snowboarders have been doing it for a really long time. Glenn Plake um, had the uh, down home tour and I can't remember if he still does it, but his thing was even more simple. He'd just go to ski resorts and just ski. Um, and, you know, people would be stoked on that because it was Glenn Plake. Uh, years ago, there was a tour called the Cyber Sessions run by Mike Nick, who was a line skis pro. Um, this was early 2000s. And it was the pretty much the same exact thing. It was just an activation style tour. Um, I went to one of the stops and I think that kind of really inspired me and um, really kind of stuck with me over the years um, to, you know, and was part of me becoming who uh, I am today and just skiing. Um, so I think it was, it was something where I thought this skiing needed it because um, it's just, uh, I think it's just a cool thing for the next generation, really. How old were you when you uh, first went to that tour, when you were kind of first exposed to this sort of thing? I think it was in 2003. Um, I drove up with my friend Eric Olson and his friends to like Tenney Mountain, New Hampshire. And it was during like the summer. They had like this huge, Tenney Mountain was trying to do this, like it was like a huge like shipping container that I think there was basically like ice chips that they were blowing out. Um, it was pretty interesting. It didn't really last long. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. I was probably like 16 or something. Um, so it was kind of like a big thing for me to just hop in the car and you know just drive like six or seven hours for some friends to go ski on some ice rink shavings basically in the summer. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sick. I was I went to your tour back in 2014 when I was still a teenager, and yeah, it, it definitely made an impression on me that I you know I still remember to this day. So I want to take a look back on when you first pitched this idea, because you've explained in the past that Telefriend Tour was kind of the counterpart idea to Traveling Circus. Uh, so how did you first pitch that idea, and how did that go, and how did you re-pitch it a couple of years later to get it off the ground? Yeah, so uh, that was kind of the thing is, um, again, yeah, my friend Will Wesson and I, who run Line Traveling Circus, started it, whatever. Uh, we had sat down with Line, uh, Line Ski's uh, founder, Jason Leventhal, and um, we, yeah, we were like, hey, we want to not jump into real life kind of situation. So here's our two proposals. And we had a little PowerPoint. And one of them was a webisode series, which was kind of uh, becoming popular kind of uh, because of Eric. Eric Pollard was doing one who was also a Line Ski's pro. And YouTube was starting to really kind of become a thing. Um, then the other one was an activation style tour, um, pretty much similar to the cyber sessions, what Mike Nick had done in the past with Lion Skis. Um, and Jason, uh, the founder of Lion, uh, was, you know, kind of picked the webisode series. He saw a lot of value in um, kind of how he was, he's always kind of like ahead of the curve a little bit because um, he's a little insane. Um, but he saw like the value that like social media and YouTube and Facebook were going to play in the time to come. So he wanted to push really kind of like have something, um, you know, with the Lion Skis brand that was going to be associated with that. So, um, but he was very down for the activation style tour too, um, at the time. Um, and I guess later when I kind of brought it up, like he was not, I mean, he, he let me use the line traveling circus van um, to do the very first year. And I think he gave me like a thousand bucks, but he was pretty hesitant about it. He was like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. Like if you think it's like, you can do it like, all right. And um, I kind of went out and did it and they've been a sponsor uh, ever since. Um, and to now like, yeah, definitely sponsor that supports me the most. Mm -hmm. So you were doing traveling circus, 2008, 2009 time period. And you guys were continually churning out content for those first couple of years. 
What was going through your mind when you wanted to bring this idea back and actually get it going? What reignited the interest in doing it? Uh, I think it was just kind of the timing. Um, I kind of had established myself enough um, in kind of like the free skiing world that I could like try to br uh, bring in a couple sponsors. I think at the time, Mirage was a personal sponsor. So I, I had I had the personal sponsors that were willing to toss in a little bit of money. Um, and then it was kind of also just like, I, I had the ability, to, it was, I felt more stable at that point in my life. Um, we started traveling circus, I was right out of college and money was <laughs> definitely like an issue. Like I remember first year traveling circus, I was in Tahoe living on a couch, um, basic or living on the floor. And um, I was selling my, uh, some old DNA clothing. There's a company called DNA out of Ogden, Utah that kind of hooked me up with some stuff. I was selling that on Craigslist and I had to pretty much use that money to be able to drive back to New York state. So I could kind of work during that summer to get enough money to, um, to just keep on going basically. Um, so I, I just kind of felt more stable. Basically it was like a life stability thing and a financial thing. And, you know, by stable, I mean like, you know, I had like maybe like a grand or two in my bank account and a couple of sponsors are paying me a couple of grand. So I definitely lost money the first couple of years. Um, but uh, it was the, I think it was the right time to do it. And I guess it's always, as Jason Leventhal would say, like, like best time to do it is today. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I was like, well, um, just why not, you know, just have to go for it sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And looking at this from a business perspective, that first year, what was the process like setting up this tour? Uh, so you said Jason gave you $1,000. Who were some of the other sponsors and how did you approach them with an idea like that? Yeah, so early on, it was just more of just like a survival type situation where I was just like, okay, like, um, you know, line, you can give me a thousand bucks. I'll put that towards gas and then, you know, orage a thousand dollars. Let me put that towards my food or whatever. And at that time I wasn't paying anyone and, you know, kind of fast forward seven years later, we have a, um, I didn't really push it much this year just because of the whole pandemic thing. But in the last year I was really pushing hard um, where it was basically, um, you know, we have a sponsor deck and I actually have a spreadsheet where I either emailed, uh, had all listed out, emailed, DM'd, or uh, sometimes I'd cold call people um, or just like Facebook. I was even looking through LinkedIn's too. Basically I had a list of a bunch of outdoor brands and I uh, went through, I think I tried to contact me like 50 of them um, out of 50, maybe like three or four ever got back to me out of that. There was one potential sponsor arcade belts, but that never happened. So basically I spent like, you know, 10, 20, 30 hours last year looking for a new sponsor, some that are inside the ski industry, sometimes some of them outside the ski industry. And like I said before, I was even trying to find an agent to help me um, and just didn't go well. But I mean, the, the sponsor and the pitch deck is like, you know, it's, we have our numbers and stats from the years, social media numbers, how many people um, we saw, how many uh, resorts we visited, um, an overview of, you know, a quick page of like why I'm doing it, kind of like the more um, uh, existential and like intrinsical uh, emotional value of what I'm doing and how much it does mean to the community um, and then more numbers and then kind of just a just a you know pricing sheet of like you know three different levels uh, whatever 
presenting sponsor, headlining sponsor level, and then a mid-level, and then a lower level, and then a supporting level, which would just be them people giving us uh, giving us kind of flow gear. And really, the only way I've gotten sponsors are through kind of uh, either my sponsors, like this year, Kukia is giving a little bit of money, and their personal sponsor, Ski Beast, has uh, always kind of supported us with a little bit of money and a bunch of product. Uh, Pit Viper, um, I got them as a sponsor last year because I know the dude Spencer, um, and I met him randomly uh, outside of Bend. My my girlfriend was actually doing an activation tour. She works for Adidas Outdoors, um, so I saw that him here, and I kind of actually I, I don't know if I tricked him or whatever, but I think I was like he was we were kind of talking with him in a group and some other people, and I was like talking to my girlfriend like right next to him, like oh yeah, tour's not looking good this year. Don't really have any sponsors and. Of course, he overheard us and he's like, well, uh, here's my card. Like, let's try to make something happen. And I was like, yeah, I got you, Spencer. I got you. Um, but uh, I, he's also, you know, he's he understands skiing. Like, um, he's always been in free skiing. He's a really good skier. Um, he's been in the scene. So he really, it's more of like, a, you know, I don't think Pitfire necessarily needs to sponsor Telefriend Tour to gain um, kind of more uh, customers. But he understands how important it is important it is to free skiing. And they're based in free skiing and skiing. So he kind of hooked it up, but um, getting new sponsors, is, it's not, it's not, it's not an easy thing. And we're not talking like, you know, someone giving me $20,000 here. We're talking like thousands of dollars. Like I don't have a sponsor that pays me over $7,000 and most of them are on the three or $4,000 level if you're going to average it out. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard. Like you would think that like, Hey, like this is a activation tour um, that is hitting the demographic of uh, free skiers. Um, generally male free skiers that are eventually going to go to college. They're going to make, you know, around a hundred thousand dollars a year. Their household is that's the average uh, income of a household of someone that free skis, according to SA snow sports stats. Um, and these people will be your consumers. Um, but it's uh, it's, I think that kind of social media influencing kind of style thing has really kind of gunked some things up. Um, where, you know, it does kind of make sense to pay an influencer a thousand dollars to make five posts versus giving me, you know, X amount of money to go, whatever, if they have a hundred thousand followers or something. Um, a lot of people are looking for direct sales and conversion, which also makes it difficult because my whole thing is like you build, you, you kind of like build this, uh, brand recognition with the people, um, where it's like, they come to the tour, they see, line skis on my feet. All the other people have line skis on. I'm giving away line skis gear. Um, maybe they come to the tour another year and it kind of just reinforces that or they watch a video of us um, that was produced by line skis. So um, a lot of people are looking for direct conversions where, you know, it's like, they're like, oh, well, do you think we could like have a discount or a link or something that like we can make our money back on this? And it's like, I don't know, like you're just getting into free skiing. Like it, takes a while to build like kind of this brand recognition and um be able to just yeah get sales and stuff like that so uh i don't know it's it's hard i can see it both ways but um i think the activation style tour is something that resonates extremely um deep with uh the participants um to where they're hopefully going to be more likely down the road to buy a product from that brand because they either saw me riding in it or they got a piece of swag or something that was from that brand that, you know, that creates the brand awareness. So it's kind of like the whole cycle of kind of like, um, you know, selling a product to bring brand awareness and then kind of brand recognition and reinforcing that with uh, different things. Um, so 
I don't know. It's uh, getting sponsors in the ski industry and even outside the ski industry is about who you know. Um, I never went and I never broed down in Colorado with the boys drinking beers at the bar after skiing Keystone or at X Games. And I had always kind of, you know, people be like, oh, you're going to come to SIA? You know, you might be able to find some sponsors there. And it's like, well, no, I'm on the road. Like I'm literally out there in the freezing cold, like handing things out to kids and giving high fives while everyone's, you know, walking around a trade show and then going and having a sushi dinner or some shit like that. Like I'm out there on the ground kind of getting it done. Um, but it's about who you know in the ski industry and um, how much you can talk your game up where it's like I myself relatively modest. I think um, I can be a huge dick and kind of be pretty flamboyant with like, <laughs> like, you know, but it's always like in a joking way. And um, yeah, you're just not going to really catch me uh, at the free skier party, like rubbing elbows with the people that I don't know. Yeah. That's how it works in the ski industry. Honestly, it's people who, you know, and yeah. Yeah. So does that also apply to being a sponsored athlete yourself? I mean, we're talking about sponsorships for a tour, but when you're trying to sell yourself, what's the process of going from a high schooler who loves skiing to becoming a sponsored athlete? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I would say for myself, like, you know, I had, since I was, uh, you know, in, in high school, 2002, we were putting together like sponsor me videos and um, typing up a little email to send to people. Um, and that never honestly worked. Uh, I think Will had gotten sponsored by maybe Nordica in high school or talking 2003 because he had a video that he sent or something. Um, but other than that, it's always been kind of like people you know or your parents know, at least in that age. Um, you know, it's like someone was sponsored by like uh, Anon and it's because, well, their dad is an Anon rep or something. Um, so I like, and again, like I've still up to a couple of years ago, I was sending emails to people like, here's what I do. Like, here's like whatever. And um, it gets to a point where unless you have an agent, um, you're not going to get any money. And even if you do have an agent, like I had a friend who had an agent for like a year or two, and I think he lost sponsors. And I think the agent just pretty much harvested his contacts to use for other people or something. So um, I would say if you're a kid and you're looking to get hooked up with a company or something like that, um, I don't know, put out insane content basically, which is kind of like you're, you got you to gotta really go for it or have like a certain style that really attracts like, um, like, you know, someone like uh, me or uh, Will Wesson or LJ Strenio. And then we're like, yo, dude, you should hook this guy up with skis. Like, I think that's kind of like the, kind of like a way that it happens. Like, um, like, uh, yeah someone that is like a writer or something like sees like you and you have a certain style i think not necessarily technical ability but like a certain style that might fit with a brand and then they tell their team manager um and make them kind of aware and then you kind of reach out to them but it's uh yeah like i don't know i don't think like you know i can imagine line gets hundreds of sponsor videos a year and, and it's just like <laughs> i mean I don't, no one's getting sponsored from that. Like, that's not like a thing. I don't think, um, it's again, knowing people kind of knowing the local rep, um, kind of situation or, you know, skiing with the sun or something is probably <laughs> like the best way to do it. Honestly. Wow. Yeah. So once you are actually sponsored, what are some of the responsibilities you have as a representative for the company? Does it kind of differ from company to company and athlete to athlete? 
Um, that it's, it's honestly, it depends on the sponsor. I've had personal and tour sponsors, um, who, you know, will have a set of deliverables like, okay, for myself, for the telefriend tour, we'll have your logo and edits. Um, we'll give you, you know, 10 photos and 10 videos across the span of X amount of months during the winter. We'll make X amount of posts. Um, we'll give you, yeah, X amount of media that you can use, whatever. Um, some sponsors, like, you know, I'll send them an email. Uh, actually, with Telefriend Tour, I, was, I do weekly updates. So every week, um, I'll send every sponsor um, and then everyone associated with the tour uh, a set of and a bunch of assets of videos and stuff like that. Um, and then the sponsor, you know, some of them are really good. Like, so I'd say Blind Skis or Saga would like more or less immediately post like a video or picture or photo um, of the tour, which is kind of the ideal thing. Um, same thing with the sponsor. Some sponsors also they'll specifically ask for things um, and then they'll actually post them. Some sponsors, I, if they want to give me money and then not get any return from it, um, that's perfectly okay with me kind of. Um, but a lot of sponsors will, you'll give them content or whatever, and then they'll never post it or they'll never follow up. And then in some cases you'll, you know, send 80 pieces of media assets to someone at the end of the year. They're like, well, I don't really see what you did for us. I don't think we should pay you what our your contract says we should pay you. And it's just like, well, here's all these emails. Like, what are you guys doing? Well, I don't really think that fits our brand image. I'm like, well, why am I writing for you guys? Like, why didn't you tell me like, you know, in the summer when I was emailing you that this is not what you're looking for so I could go find another sponsor. So it really depends on the sponsors. Um, it depends on the brand manager. It depends on the social media person. Um, I was working with a, you know, new schoolers for a while. And um, they were, it was new schoolers telefriend tour. Um, and uh, I would send them media assets and then I'd have to like call sometimes like the the guy who was doing their social media and be like, yo, like you haven't posted anything in 14 days now. Um, this is the middle of the tour. Like what the hell is going on? Um, so it honestly, man, it, it depends. Like you could have a set of things you give uh, assets that you give the sponsors and sometimes they don't post anything it's um it's kind of strange to me um mm -hmm. honestly yeah so it's been pretty well documented throughout the traveling circus series that basically every off season you need a part-time job to pay the bills uh do you think that's the rule or the exception for sponsored athletes i mean i i there's probably it's it differs i would say if you want to be a pro or am skier or whatever get a job that's number one like get a job like you you have to there's i mean i worked every summer pretty much since i left high school because i had to make money and then during the falls i would try to get my like you know this spring that whole summer and then up until i still have to work a couple more weeks and then jump right on the tour and then i'll get back and start working more i would say that i don't know how, i don't know how other people do it um, I know there's some people that definitely kind of get away with it, but there's not a large amount of people who are making over 40 grand a year, 30 grand a year um, skiing. I mean, if you're making, I would say over 15 or 20 grand a year as a professional skier, you like, there's like very little people like under a hundred, I would think maybe like uh, under a couple hundred and um, definitely under a hundred in like the United States for sure. But um, I mean, yeah, like you want to be a pro skier, man, get a, get a job. Like, um, I think a lot of people kind of have not a lot of people, but there's definitely certain people who have, um, kind of just already have it laid out 
kind of like through just kind of being rich or something kind of situation. But like, I'm been fortunate myself that I've kind of had, you know, that I'm a white male with a college degree and a family that I was middle-class that if there was something I needed, I could kind of like fall back at least a little bit. Um, but I don't know, man, I'd uh, get a job, dude. Like I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, like in the X games and it's like, or have been in the X games. And it's like, yeah, you work during the summer, like either you're coaching or you're doing landscaping or you're trying to be a computer scientist so you can actually make some real money in life. Um, and it's like, it's, it's kind of hard too, because you're pushing things off. Like there is no 401k for skiing. There is no health insurance for skiing. You have to pay that out of pocket. Um, you have to like, you have to be proactive and start, try to start an IRA because you don't have anyone matching your contributions to your 401k. And like, I'm in my middle thirties and I just started saving um, for that kind of stuff like a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm already, you know, in those, those early years, those 10 plus years that I haven't been saving are the times when a normal person that uh, has been in the job market has been saving. And those are the prime saving times because those are the earliest years that you can eventually be accruing the most amount of interest on those returns from a Roth IRA or an IRA or mutual fund or something. So um, yeah, get a job, like start a Roth IRA. If you only put in like a couple hundred dollars a year, a thousand dollars a year or something like, like do it. Cause it's all of a sudden you're going to be 30 and you're going to be like, Oh shit, I don't have any money for retirement. And that's definitely a thing you have to have. Yeah. And I think that's just good advice period. Not even just for skiers. Um, so staying on this subject, what's, what's kind of the difference between a skier like you who's on tour and in uh, a web series versus a comp skier who's in the X Games, going to World Cup events, and trying to get into the Olympics? Uh, what are sponsors expecting from, from those individuals, and are they kind of like a, a different class of skier, if you could say that? I would say they're a different class of skier. Um, uh, someone who is skiing half pipe in the X Games um, – for what they're doing is pretty much, they might as well be skiing moguls or racing um, for most aspects of it, honestly. Um, I, it's hard to tell what their situations are. I think it's another varying thing. I think a lot of people are getting support from sponsors. Um, there are sponsors who are really kind of stuck in the old mentality of, oh, we're gonna sponsor this person for 40 grand and they're gonna get fifth in the X games and we're gonna think that's good or something. I don't know, or they have an agent or something, but um, I think for others, it's the same kind of thing as me where they have to kind of make money through working or for God's sakes, GoFundMes and stuff like that, which are pretty common um, where it's like, you know, they, I honestly, I don't know like how some people like, if they don't have like really good sponsors and they're getting paid like over like 30 K a year, like how you're expected to travel to like four or five world cups or something like it's like the plane tickets themselves add up to more than 10 G's like, and then um, you kind of have to add just other travel expenses on that. Um, I don't know how some people do it, but I, it's money. Like it's, it's, you have to be wealthy to do it. I mean, you can't, if you're being sent to a, and this is most Olympic athletes and people in the X games these days is you went to a ski academy um, and going to a ski academy is not fucking cheap. Like you're talking like what, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand a year uh, for a ski academy. 
And by a ski academy, you mean a high school that, that specializes in skiing, right? Yes, like a high school. that, And that's what most the background of most Olympic or X Games athletes these current days are, is they went to a high school academy. Um, and then, you know, some of them, you, it's easy to do college these days. Well, not easy, but it's doable to, you know, uh, do online college or something or take summer courses um, and then do your competition season. But you're still spending time during the summer, having to go to summer camps, keep on training consistently, um, and then spend, you know, three or four months during the winter, kind of like flying around the world, doing world cups, trying to collect points. Um, so I, I think in those instances, and I'm not speaking obviously for everyone that it's, there's you, your family or someone has money and it's not necessarily all the sponsors. Cause there's a lot of people going to those world cups. And I, like, I can't imagine that. I, I just don't know where they're, money would be coming from if their sponsors aren't paying them a lot because um, it's not cheap and are those competitions even paying out enough to kind of perpetuate your career and justify all those travel expenses like i, I mean I, I know i understand that you're not really in that world but do you know the financials of someone kind of in that circuit yeah so i mean if you're i mean i guess i i would know like the x games like you get paid a good amount like you get first it's like 20 or 25 grand maybe um, but that's a once a year type thing. World cups. I honestly don't know what the pricing structure is for those. Um, that would be something interesting to look into, but I mean, maybe if you're getting, you know, top whatever, um, you're going to get a little bit, you're going to get money for sure. But like, I mean, there's dozens of people that are doing this, you know, I don't know what 30, 40, 50, like there's a lot of people that are traveling around doing these competitions. So I mean, I can't imagine if you're getting like sixth or like eighth or 10th constantly that you're being able to pay the bills, but, um, for at least covering the cost for those trips. But, um, I'm not really hundred percent sure it's, I, I don't really see them paying out necessarily that much unless you're top three or four or five, but, um, maybe, I mean, mm-hmm. um, so that's, I, I'm not sure about that, honestly. Mm-hmm. So do you think that an event like Rails to Riches, I don't even think they have that anymore, but do you think an event like that uh, fits into the category that we were just discussing, or do you think that was something that was actually accessible to any type of skier? Um, so that, uh, say Rails to Riches, I believe Mount Snow, uh, or prior to, uh, Mount Snow was did something similar this year to where it was like, kind of like a pretty good cash prize of like five G's or something or more for the winner. Um, maybe like a $20,000 cash purse spread between skiing and snowboarding. So it was like a, you know, decent payout. Tom Wallish just real jam this year, which I thought was really awesome because it was, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of AMs involved that he got in. Um, mm-hmm. Actually we had one person, Bobby Sullivan. Um, he, we kind of picked him to go. I, I called up Tom and I was like, yo, Tom, like whoever, we picked at this Killington comp- competition or whatever, like, can we send your rail jam? And he was totally cool with it. So we sent Bobby there and, uh, you know, Bobby Sullivan's an am. So I think things like say rails, riches, war of rails, um, which was an invite only contest. But if you are six geared, someone would probably vouch for you and you could get in. Um, and then, yeah, Tom's thing, I, things like that where there are rail jams and non sanctioned competitions by some whatever, IOC, USSA, USAS, whatever the hell the acronym is. Um, I think those things are something that are, they're far and few between. Um, and there, there needs to be more of them. The people that are in those and one though, like pretty sure my friend Garai Dadali, 
he won more than 10 grand over rail with rails riches over the years. It helped pay for him to go to college. Like it helped pay for him to travel. Um, John LJ Strenio won. I don't even know how many years he won, but he definitely probably racked up more than 15 grand um, over the years. And that kind of helped, you know, be able to fund him to, yeah, he went to college, University of Utah, and now he's doing computer science classes um, at Portland. So it's like that money kind of helped fund him do that. Um, but it's almost, it's almost hard to, you know, know because there's so few of them anymore. Everything is a very sanctioned, even small rail jams at your home resort are, you know, where you could win like maybe a couple hundred bucks or something like that, or at least your gas money back don't exist because they're part of like a USASA or whatever kind of a sanctioned organization where you actually have to pay them to be a member, pay them for entry. And then when you win, you don't win money, you win points, which the points really don't do anything. And um, so, and that's where another thing where I, years ago, I was like, I, this is stupid. Like when I was a kid, you could go to, I had friends in New York that would go and they would schedule out their whole winter based upon cash purses in the East coast. Like, okay, like this weekend is the Mount Snow open. The next weekend is the Okemo open. The next weekend there's a rail jam hunter in New York. Um, and then the weekend after that, and you could go and you could kind of do this circuit of like very small, just local or, you know, a little bit bigger, um, competitions and you could win money. Wow. How about that? Um, which was something that does not exist anymore. And, uh, when that kind of started going away, I started doing, uh, tell friend tour cash jams, basically where same thing. Uh, uh, last year I went to Killington with 4,000, $3,000. 4,000, I don't know, any $3,000 in my pocket. And during the day, um, I gave away money for doing cool tricks. Someone would do, a, I don't know, a two pretzel two on like a challenge trail or something like, yo dude, here's the hundred bucks. Um, so, and, and I'll same, same with all friend tours when it started, I saw there was a lack of something and there was a need for it. Um, so I created it and, you know, over the last four years of giving out money for Telefriend tour, um, at these cash jams, I think we've given away like over like 12 grand or something. Um, and you know, some places I'll show up with a thousand dollars, some places I'll show up with 500 bucks and just give out money to kids for doing tricks and gas money's paid for and everyone has a fun time. Um, and unfortunately if I wasn't doing it. Um, and I guess, you know, Tom wasn't doing it. There would be no one doing it. And it's hard to get support for something like that. Uh, Again, you'd think that it's like, I don't know, people, there's money out there, like it's out there, but it's just not going kind of to the places that it needs to help really just kind of one, keep the tradition of free skiing alive and two, like foster a generation of free skiers that aren't rich academy kids um, that, you know, can travel around and make a little bit of money to help pay for college or at least their gas. So it's, it's kind of a bummer, honestly. Yeah, so free skiing and freestyle snowboarding entered the Olympics in 2014, so I hardly think that it's a coincidence that as the Olympics has taken over the comp scene for skiing and kind of created a career trajectory for comp skiers, that it's not a coincidence at all that we're seeing that cash rail jams are dying out and all these sanctioned events are increasing in importance. Yeah, so I would I would tend to agree. I think it kind of started happening a little bit sooner than that, maybe like... Uh, maybe like a late, like, you know, 2008 era, 2007. Um, and that was basically because of USA, SA and US, whatever the, 
I don't know, they combined and they changed their names and stuff, but basically like um, sanctioned events to where it was like, okay, like we can, we can someone in that region or whatever the organization is going to kind of take in money. Um, and they kind of took over the small rail jams or soap style competitions, but uh, you are right. It was kind of more sanctioned events to where it was like, okay, if I'm, top in my region for um, USASA or whatever, um, that might give me a spot to get into a, uh, a, a rev tour or something. There's like, it, it changes all the time. It's, it's kind of like a complicated thing, but um, like a, a more sanctioned event that is uh, kind of bigger, like maybe a spot in a world cup or something like that, or, um, you know, uh, an open event, give like a spot in an open event or something, but it is the same thing to where it would be like, that is kind of like the people would people, and especially I think parents, which to no fault of their own, like, yeah, it's a sanctioned event. There's insurance and like you pay money and they go and do the runs and ski. And they're thinking every, like, you know, not every parent, but there's a lot of parents, um, especially I've coached a lot of these kids where their parents are like, yeah, like I want little Johnny to get sponsored and he's going to go to the X games and I want him to be a professional skier in the Olympics. And so I think it's like, definitely like gives the perception that there is a career path and opportunity in the competition sport. Um, and that is definitely where the cash rail jams and stuff like that. So you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but the more sanctioned like career path that like either a kid or a parent wants the kid to take has to go through these sanctioned events to be like the pro comp scared that you know wins the olympics or something but um mm -hmm. that's a whole another story and something that i'd have to like talk to a couple people about um like what exactly that structure is now because every time i ask a friend or someone who judges these competitions it's like it changes like how you know someone goes from your local um sanctioned competition event to regional to national um, to getting into like a rev tour event, then getting into like a world cup event and then eventually Olympic thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a whole complicated process that takes tens of thousands of dollars, um, you know, years, uh, academies. Um, it's not something that like, it's not attainable for anyone that isn't already rich basically and there are some exceptions obviously but um every year the exceptions get less and less and less and less mm -hmm. so it'll be a point where you'll have to go to one two or three um or uh, a certain academies as a high school student to basically be um groomed to be able to get into an olympic spot and they will come down to people that you know um and those people will get you into the events i and again, like there are exceptions to this, but it will become harder and harder and harder for little Johnny in Western New York to win, you know, a state or a regional competition and then go to nationals and then go to the Rev Tour and then go to a World Cup. Or, um, so the, the pipeline is being constricted while more people are trying to do it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, so switching gears, where do film skiers play into this? If someone's going on a shoot with level one, that's kind of a middle ground, right? Like, are they, are they still getting paid? Are their expenses covered? How does that sort of structure work? Uh, so the, the kind of the film skier that, that is something where there has in the past, um, been success for a lot of people where, you know, if they were, and we're talking, you know, 
things have changed since like, say like 2008 and now to where it's super hard, unless you're, uh, you know, insanely talented skier, like, like Henrik or Phil, um, or something like that. Like it's to film like a part or an X games, real street or something in a movie and also be doing competitions is like, that's how it used to be for everyone. Like that's like it, the pro skier and like, you know, mid 2000s, 2010 or whatever, you were a competition skier, you were in the X games and you were also filming a part with level one. Um, you could get away with it, but uh, these days it's very far and you kind of have to pick between the two. And again, there are exceptions to the rule, um, but like you can't film like a full part generally. And then also be doing like say a world cup or something um, to try to be like a competition skier. So that's, that's one big difference between then and now. Um, another difference in kind of like the middle road you were talking about is like the film skier has done pretty well for themselves. Um, it seems like people are doing less well for themselves these days. Um, say since level one isn't really filming anymore, poor boys isn't filming anymore. They stopped maybe like six years ago. Um, so you're kind of left with only a couple film companies, uh, but the film skier was doing decently. Uh, a lot of my friends, uh, LJ, Will, Kai, uh, like Dale Talkington, um, I don't, like a lot of different people could make money and we're not talking like, you know, in most cases, like not over 20 grand a year. Um, you still had to have a job and stuff, but you could do all right for yourself. Like, uh, you know, Hornback, um, Wallish was an exception to where he kind of like did the comp and the skiing, like filming thing, um, both of them really well. Um, but it's, uh, that wasn't, that was a good middle ground to where it's like, you're not going to be making like, you know, I mean, some were for sure, you know, like 40 plus grand a year. Uh, but since kind of level one's gone, poor boys is gone. Um, sponsors are just kind of like, well, you know, individual film projects are still kind of thing, but it's kind of, I think it's pretty hard to get funding from them. Like a sponsor was a little more willing to kind of give someone money uh, to go say film with level one, because the, the presence of level one poor boys was just, especially like say early 2010 to 2015 was, was absolutely huge. Um, then they control like kind of like a lot, I would say in skiing and rightfully so. Um, you know, with film tours and uh, kind of their social media that they could push out. Um, then the people that they know with social media, they could push out like say Free Skier or Power Magazine. But I think it's the sponsor dollars are drying up a good amount for film skiers to where it's really just, you know, there's not, people are doing their independent projects. And um, I know that Line and a bunch of other companies are contributing smaller amounts to, uh, it's called Strictly Strictly. Um, they're kind of like a film crew out of Colorado. Um, but there's not like the, there's a, a void that I think, you know, there was a couple years where there was a void that, you know, poor boys left and now level one's gone. So there is room for people to kind of move in, but since the people that are new, like new film companies moving in that eventually those film companies can have the exposure that sponsors want to be able to give skiers money to be in those movies kind of situation. Um, it's just, it's drying up a little bit. Like no one, like it's it's hard to just jump in kind of. Um, but yeah, the, the film skier for a while did really well for themselves. That was uh, kind of, I think like that was an age for sure. Um, and well for themselves and is kind of like a relative term, but uh, you know, when you're filming with a company, uh, say film company X, most film companies would, they're not really flying you around. Like you're flying yourself around and your sponsor pays film company X, 
uh, $20,000 to be a sponsor. And then your sponsor is like, okay, I want you in this movie, Johnny. Um, I'm going to give you $5,000 to be in this movie. So it's still, still kind of like a unbalanced thing to where sometimes the film company was getting the kind of lion's share of that, uh, that marketing budget for, um, you know, that kind of media. Um, so it was always kind of like, you know, I'm not saying necessarily anyone ever like got used or is being used for whatever. Um, but it's definitely the money I wish had gone to kind of like the skiers a little bit more than some of the companies. But then again, those companies do need to make money and operate. So, um, yeah, everyone's like, you would think that like, you know, uh, someone gets sent on a trip to Helsinki to go film rails for a film company that like the film company is paying for the travel, their food, um, their transportation to get around. And that is not how it works at all. Like you're paying that out of pocket or your sponsor, you're hoping that is paying for it. And it was everyone kind of, you know, that's how it worked because it was like, um, you're, the mentality a lot of times in skiing um, is you're lucky to be doing what you're doing. So it doesn't matter if you make money or not, you're, you're doing what you want to do kind of situation, but it's like, like, that's, I mean, that's a pretty shitty way to look at it sometimes. Like, cause it's like you, again, then you end up in your early thirties and you spent, you know, the bulk part of your twenties, like hitting rails and stuff, hoping that maybe you'll go somewhere, but it just, it's not really how it works. It's kind of a, kind of a bummer. And there are again, exceptions to that. But uh, I remember, I think LJ was saying that he was like at a shoot at like Schweitzer or something like with the film company and like uh, it was super shitty weather and no one like was skiing for like, you know, it's going to be kind of shitty for a while. So it was like, I think like Dumont or someone was there something of that status in the like, you know, 2010 range or something. And Dumont was just like, yeah, I'm just going to like leave and like, I'm out. Like I'll be back when the weather's better. And like, I was just like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And then like, sometimes you'll get a bill sent to you from like said film company, you know, because you uh, shared a hotel room with someone and uh, the film company picked it up at that time, but then you have to pay them back. So, um, which again is, everything that I don't like about the ski industry, um, like something like that is something that I have tried to fix with my tour to where I, and again, this isn't much money, but I will, if LJ needs to fly somewhere, I pay for him. I make sure I have the budget. I could have easily kept the money myself, but if, um, you know, or I'll give like a local rider, like, all right, 50 bucks a day plus gas money to come down. You do 10 stops with me. I'll give you X amount more money. And, um, you know, you travel here, I'll buy your plane ticket. You need to take a bus, I'll buy your bus ticket. Um, like I'm going out and I'm getting dinner for everyone tonight. I'm buying drinks at the bar. Like, um, that's like something that like, again, from hearing stories from people filming with these film companies where they're like, this is bullshit. I got a fucking hotel room bill from like, because I split the hotel room with like someone like the filmer or something like, um, so that's where like, I've really tried to make the difference. And I've, over the years, I've you know, I've paid tens of thousands of dollars in people's ways and um, wage um, for people to come with me because it's like, you're doing work for someone. You should be paid for it. And I wish I could pay people more. This year is going to be tough. I don't think I'm going to be able to pay anyone because I got to pay, you know, in the end for myself. Um, but it, it adds up like five people, plane tickets, both ways back, like food, like it's, it ends up being a lot, but it's needs to happen because that's what's fair. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's tough, you know, and I hope that 
people discussing these sort of things kind of shifts the culture in the community. I mean, even the stuff you were talking about um, within the comp scene is just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I think that, and I, over the years, I've been pretty hostile and I've actually been not banned. Well, no, well, not banned, but not invited back for t- tell friend tour stops. It was maybe like four years ago. I got real into anti kind of like uh, sanctions, like, you know, youth sporting events for skiing to the point where, um, yeah, I had a couple of people that I rubbed the wrong way because they were the people that were running that sanctioned event um, in the region. And, you know, to be shitting on that basically um, kind of is like taking money out of their pocket. And I've, I've changed my views in the years. Um, in fact, I'm actually, I've talked to a couple of people recently um, that are, that work for USA. I can't even, again, I can't remember. And I was actually, I took the certification one year because I had to. Um, and for this uh, sanctioned competition series, people would take uh, like for coaching or whatever, uh, adults, like a parent would take this um, USSA, whatever level one or 100 course, um, a two day course or whatever. Uh, so they could be like in the, uh, in the start gate with their kid. I swear to God, these people could like barely ski and snowboard. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of weird stuff, man, but I got in kind of a little bit of trouble about that. And I've been disinvited from uh, Spirit Mountain in Minnesota. Um, and then also I have Bear Creek in PA. Um, so I kind of shot my mouth off and kind of uh, stepped on my own feet on that one. But I've changed my tune with that to like kind of being more combative um, about it and just being like less of like an, like an asshole basically. Um, to like kind of like the idea of like I want to try to work with these people in the future like I want to kind of like I want to figure this out so that everyone can kind of have more of a fair shake and little fucking Johnny from uh you know Buck Hill uh Minnesota can you know if he wants has like a clear pipeline you know albeit hard and hopefully not as expensive um to you know one day be an Olympic skier or something because I I think that but I again like the structure seems to change all the time and it's from, again, talking to people that are very heavily into this, people that, you know, coach Olympic athletes, um, that it is going to turn into an academy fest to where not only just you, you, not only does the person have to go to an academy, but the person has to go to a certain academy to be really seen and then eventually picked to be able to be put into these positions. Um, so I don't know. I. I maybe I'll try to get on the phone and do that or talk to one of the people that I'm currently talking to part of these organizations um, to try to figure out exactly what the structure is and um, like be like like all right you see this being a problem at all like what's up let's maybe try to change it Um, but uh, that yeah we'll see but it's it's complicated convoluted and expensive Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm do you think that resorts are playing a role in this problem you're identifying, or do you think that it's it's out of necessity that they're moving towards only sanctioned events? Uh, I would say for what we were just talking about with like kind of these uh, like you know more sanctioned competitions and kind of like the whole road to being like a professional comp skier kind of situation for a kid in the middle of nowhere, um, the resorts they're they want to hold an event, they want to get people there, they want to ski, like they're I think they're some people are probably more into it, but other people, it's like the marketing people are like in their mid forties or fifties or even sixties. And they just, it's an event. They see it fun for the kids and it is fun for the kids a lot of times. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're really playing any kind of like 
role either way into it. In fact, you know, resorts um, is for kind of like how I make my money for Telefriend Tours. It's mostly from resorts. I would say 65% of my income from last year um, was from ski resorts um, because they, they want events at their places. Um, and I pitch it to them and they either say yes or no. So um, I think ski resorts are just, they just want to have events and they just want people to have fun. And, you know, ski resorts do play into kind of like a, a deeper, um, a totally different situation issue problem that we can talk about some other time um, to what kind of skiing is moving forward to. Um, and I think that's, that's a conversation that's like a whole different thing that will require me to kind of change my whole thought process and do a lot of research, which I'm trying to do now. Um, when I'm not being lazy or working, mostly working. Um, but uh, I think ski resorts just want events and people to have fun and this is an easy plug and play thing for them. Yeah, so we'll we'll save your thoughts on your future uh, ventures for another time, but let, just to round things out, what's your vision for the future of Telefrentor specifically? Oh, um, honestly, before COVID, which really screwed a lot of things up this year, we were cruising pretty good. Um, I was being able to generate enough revenue to be paying the people that are coming with me. Um, I was introducing new people that were generally through line skis because um, line skis is like kind of the most supportive and forward thinking um, of a lot of the sponsors where they have a lot of like good AMs like uh, Pete Klukoff um, kind of came with me last year. Um, Sawyer Sellingham is like kind of like a line East Coast rider. Kevin Merchant is East Coast rider. Um, uh, so I, I think that even if I you know, didn't, and my goal was always to land like a non-endemic sponsor, like a non-ski sponsor, like Nature Valley Bar that gives me like 60 grand and I can go do so much cool stuff with it, like give so much money away. And I eventually wanted to create my own competition series that was based on money, um, not points. And that could like really filter into like, you know, someone being going into a bigger competition like the X Games or a do tour style situation, even though that doesn't exist anymore. But I've kind of given up on those pipe dreams of finding the non-endemic sponsor, the whale that will be able to kind of solve all my money problems. So, um, you know, I was pretty happy with piecing together 24 different resorts and seven sponsors. It sustained us so we could go for like, you know, a good five weeks, get out to a bunch of people. So I think I would just like to keep on doing that, you know, keep it to like 20 to 25 stops a year, um, going to new resorts, um, involving kind of like more am skiers um, so they can kind of help get the exposure to maybe push them to the next level. Um, kind of just going and just my whole thing is for this year, or at least this year is the more product that I can get, whether, you know, it's like I'll hit up company A and they're like, ah, I don't know. I don't really want to do four grand. Like, uh, I don't really, you know, we don't really want to give money this year. Like, you know, whatever, but we can give you products. Like, you know, in the past I'd always kind of like, I'm like, ah, um, but I, again, I've changed my mentality to what I think is going to be the best outcome for the participants, which is more stuff. Give me more stuff. Like, I don't care who it's from. You're in the ski industry, outdoor sports, whatever. Um, if it's like something that someone will want to have or get them stoked or again, create kind of like that puzzle piece to the overall whole puzzle of them becoming a lifelong skier, like, let's do it. Like, send me as much stuff as you can. Last year, Saga sent me dude, so much stuff. Like I, I don't need like 15 grand worth of retail items like to give out. Like I, I had so much stuff and I, I have to create kind of like, just like my use my parents' house in New York is like a, um, 
logistical drop for items, basically, which where I'd like drive through, grab stuff for half the tour on the East Coast, um, and then on the way back, you know, grab more stuff because it just wouldn't fit in the van with the people. Like, um, so I think kind of moving to the future, I would just like to go to more places that I haven't been before, kind of like spread the stoke. Um, it's, um, there's a lot of opportunities out there. East Coast and Midwest are by far the easiest um, because there's more ski resorts closer together. So I can kind of hit more stops. So it's like, ideally, like for last year, at least it was like, all right, Saturday, Sunday, we have Monday off. And then Tuesday, we drive Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we have stops and again, Saturday, Sunday, like, just like get it done in one, one big, you know, drive, like insane, like routes sometimes going way far out of the way and people getting very angry at me because they're stuck in a van. Um, but I think that it's, uh, just keep keeping on, like keeping on doing what I'm doing. I was at a, such a good place last year. And then of course, COVID went kicking in the dick. Um, so now we're set 20, 25 stops. We're probably going to do, I'm promising sponsors or I'm shooting for 10 stops, which, you know, I just got some stops, um, kind of scheduled. And then I looked at travel restrictions. And I'm like, my stuff changes. Like technically I shouldn't be going to that state. Like I Legally, I don't, maybe they're handing out fines or something for not being in quarantine, but there's a lot of Eastern states that are like, you know, New York state and Vermont being places where those are both definitely on hold pending COVID travel restrictions. So um, yeah, this year is an anomaly and kind of a bummer, but uh, I had a lot of things figured out last year that I think I can carry forward to at least continuing this and, you know, who knows what I'll be doing in the next couple of years. Uh, at some point, I probably need to get like a job that's like not what I'm doing, but um, if it can sustain me and I can at least, you know, make uh, a living wage, you know, I'm talking like $30,000, $40,000 a year um, doing this telefront tour, TC and working like a job during the summers, I, I think that's like, okay. I think a lot of people would disagree with me on that. Like, you know, uh, kind of situation, but, uh, yeah, I would like to just keep it going, man. I think every year, every year being uh, a skier, especially someone like me, um, not being a competition skier, even actually it's probably worse for competition skiers every year. It's like, okay, um, this is the last year. Like, is this it? Like, is this the last year that I get to do this because I get dropped by a sponsor or I get hurt? Um, and don't have great health insurance and I'm in debt 20 grand. Um, it's every year, man. It's like, a, it just takes one or two sponsors to just be able to just kill your professional career. So um, I'm just gonna run with it year. You just do year by year basically. And that's what I'm gonna be doing. Cool, cool. Well, Andy, I've already kept you for an hour today. So I just wanna thank you for coming on and uh, I look forward to talking with you in the future. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely a good chat. It's always good to like, cause a lot of kids ask, like, this is like, it's not, I, I don't even think about it anymore, but like the, the road for a kid to be a pro skier or even, you know, making like five or 10 grand a year is like, it's not easy. And it's, it's, there's a way bigger pool of skiers that are super good. Like it's insane how good people are today. Like kids doing triples and you're just like, what? So um, yeah, it's good to like, kind of like put this out there for people just so they know um, kind of, you know, what, it, what, what it's really about. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm definitely looking forward to talking more. Yeah, for sure. Start watching Fox News.
Stop watching your weight. There is no fancy part of it. Upstate New York. They're fond of their booze. But wing sauce is great. I'm gonna clog my heart in it. Upstate New York.